Pain Talk, a podcast for patients living with pain and those that care for them. Now here's your host, palliative and emergency care physician, Dr. Maureen Allen. Welcome back, everyone. Today on Pain Talk, we're talking to an expert with a lived experience of chronic pain. You might remember Virginia McIntyre from one of our earlier podcasts. I think it was number four. So Virginia is someone with a lived experience with chronic pain, as we mentioned, and this occurred after she uh, had a shoulder surgery. Initially, she suffered by herself with pain, but after learning about pain self-management tools, she now lives well with her pain. Managing her pain has allowed Virginia to facilitate the Annapolis Valley Pain Self-Management Education and Support Group. Virginia is also an active board member with the People in Pain Network. She is a pain advocate and advisor on pain-related conference planning, committees, research teams, and advisory committees. She has extensive uh, experience locally and nationally advocating for those living with chronic pain and having giving them access to the tools they need to live well. She's committed to helping others, and I can attest to that. Uh, Virginia has always been a wonderful resource for our provincial uh, pain network as well as nationally. Today, she's going to share with us how she's doing with COVID, how it's impacted her life, and how it's challenging her in many ways, although she has significant resiliency because she has worked through some of the the required changes that she's needed to do to live and manage her pain. So she's going to share with us how to get through some of this unpredictability and uncertainty we're facing. So welcome, Virginia. How are you doing anyway? I'm doing well. I um, yeah, was struggling at the beginning with everything, but... Yeah. You seem to be doing better now. How about you? Well, you know, it's interesting. So you've w- there's been so much because I as you know, I work in the emergency department as well. And uh so there's been this upramping of different triage systems and you know, trying to maximize safety for staff, you know, maximizing ultimate therapies for patients that are coming in with this infection. But there's so much change that happens every day. You know, we talk about you know, trying to get ourselves to a place where, okay, I got this, you know, this is this is a process that we can understand. But they keep changing these things. And I find that so disruptive. And what I've what I found myself doing today is actually almost feeling a little bit sad. <laughs> so I don't know, I don't understand where that's coming from. But partly I think it's coming from this is our nor- new normal, I think. And it's almost like we're having to mourn what was before. I don't I'm not sure if you feel that as well, but uh, I definitely I- am feeling that. I don't know. I think I think it's just because things are changing so frequently, so yeah. quickly, and I'm still at work too. Um, yes, not yeah. knowing where we're going, what we're doing. It's um, I get sad. I think when I get know that I'm going to go back to work the next day and figure out what's it going to bring. Right, right. And and how how are they protecting you in your space? I think as everybody, we're into wearing masks. I roll a little differently than most people, which. Is concerning for me in the fact that because I live with pain, mm-hmm. my position and because I can't do lifting uh, has changed significantly yeah. at work. Living with pain and living with uh, workplace injury, I lose control over things, which is challenging. Yeah, yeah. And even this will be more because it's where can they find places for me. Right. Oh, so are you, are they still placing you in that work place that you're in, or has that changed? It's changed because there <clears throat> were, it, it's changed significantly what everybody is doing, and wow. where I was very limited um, on the scanning that I did. Right. Uh, right. That's all. It's all elective. It's changed. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm more doing admin work. Okay. 
uh, right. where that'll go. And I, actually learning to do the N95 fit testing. Oh, geez. And that, you know, it's not as straightforward in the sense of how it feels to put that mask on and do all, because what I don't know if public mm-hmm. realize what we have to actually do with these masks in order to see if we're fitting properly. You know, it's yeah. pretty much like almost standing on your head, but not really standing on your head. <laughs> well, and that's it. So, yeah, so there's a lot of change. And I just, my role there will be limited. It's, can they put me somewhere? Where can they put me? What can I do? And sometimes feeling awful that knowing because of my pain that I can't go certain places, I can't do yeah. certain things, but then I feel useless. And then other times, what's going to happen? There's so much uncertainty. Yeah, exactly. And and you've much. already got, uh, you know, that, that nervous system is already in that hypervigilant state to begin with because you live with persistent pain. And then when you have, you know, and I always tell people that what can drive this is the, the unpredictability and the uncertainty. And uh, obviously that fear can be part of that too. When we can't feel we have some control, you're, you're literally having to give your control over to the administrators to say, and there's a lot of misperceptions yeah. too, I always find too, and you could gr- agree with me here, Virginia, that you know, uh, commonly I'll find patients who live with persistent pain that are put in positions that look just at the physical capability, oh. but something that requires, you know, what they, what they say is, well, okay, I want you to sit all day and do this. And that is probably the worst thing to get somebody with persistent pain to do. I'm just wondering if you could comment on that. That is so true. It is all about the physical and even to now self-manage at work. I do it very quietly in a place where there's nobody around because you can't understand it. And it's very much for the physical and to get even something like a height adjustable table so you're not sitting all day, but you can't stand to to make these accommodations. Pain is very much... um, misunderstood or just not understood. Yeah, exactly. So, and I found that, I mean, in some of these notes that we get in the emergency room that ask us to, you know, look at the capabilities of a person. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I mean, you've got a form here that looks, that generally makes that assumption, but you have to look at all the different uh, factors that contribute to this individual's persistent pain in particular, that, um, you know, they have to be able to have some flexibility around how the day is structured in order to minimize their flare-ups, but also to change their positioning and things like that. So th- those forms really don't look at that. <laughs> They're a general form that that is designed for everybody. So what are some of the other unique challenges that you've had to, um, so the workplace is really important. So it's important for us to recognize that that COVID has actually really disrupted some predictability, even in the workplace for people that yeah. have been working super hard and you need to give yourself credit for the fact that you do, you know, uh, maintain that work uh, responsibility, but COVID has really disrupted what you have found to be sort of the the strategies that you use in the workplace, but how has it affected you in other areas of your life? I mean, really, it, it's so much disruption. Um, the gyms are closed, your yoga, my, my routine is totally thrown when I would go to spin class I can't do that anymore when you can't do yoga you can't do that these are things that get you going you can't have your massage appointments yeah but I think they, they miss sometimes we go for treatments and all that is there's so much uncertainty with it uh, not connecting with the support group or for people that you connect with that help you keep a balance yeah yeah, yeah. So, oh, total life is it, it's almost when you go out in the mornings, and I'm sure you think it's almost eerie out there. It's, it's haunting. There's nobody around. Yeah, how can there be such calm with such disruption internally, right? You can't. And honestly, at, at the beginning, I so struggled with all this. Um, yeah. 
Well, like everybody, I started overeating. I wasn't motivated. I wasn't running. I wasn't. I get just little walks, I and mean, thank goodness my husband would drag me out for a walk. But I just, yeah, yeah, it felt like I was I was slipping, and I was going into a real funk. It, yeah. Challenge. Well, what has happened is that, you know, we all have come to this place with these strategies that we've used in our life and we've all had our ups and downs. Right. But we have found these strategies or I like to think of them as habits and behaviors that have got us to this place of calm. And in one instant, that is totally disrupted. Right. So I can't, like you said, I can't go to the gym. I mean, that was part of the strategy I used every morning. And it was also the interaction I had with, uh, there's a core group of us that would go at very specific times. I'm not sure if that was the same experience for you, but we had this relationship uh, that we would kind of, you know, vent or support each other or talk about different things. And just in an instant that was gone. And that's your motivation too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it took me about to so tell me okay so rather than me come into this obviously I'm really more interested in in how so that 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 rabbit hole that you found yourself down so how how did you pull yourself back or do you feel like you've pulled yourself back um I I think it was good you're gonna say what take two it took me about two or three weeks I was getting very stressful very sad yeah um, I just one day got home from work and said yeah this can't go on yeah this is this uncertainty can't go on this this can't I mean there's still a lot of uncertainty around clinician appointments but that's it just it can't go on I'm losing hope I have to figure something out so I I that's my husband I go let's go for a walk and and I don't talk to him about my thing but it was just getting outside and going for a walk work I had to stay away from the negative uh I end up being at work I'm totally by myself all day you know room yeah <laughs> but uh I just I had to <laughs> figure out how I'm going to do this because my whole routine was thrown off and the pain has not calmed back down to where it was, but it's getting more manageable. It's revisit old things. I really had to think about what did I used to do? Cause there was a time that I wasn't doing well at all. So I had to rethink it. How did I get through those times? And that's why I kind of started looking back at my old pain management toolbox, or I call it a wellness toolbox. Yeah. Going back to that, what did I do? How did I get through? And, brought some things back that I haven't used for years because I've had these great habits going. Yeah. And that's what's kind of helped me. It's um, that and reminding myself of some things that I've done it before. I am resilient. I can do this again. Yeah. So, one day at a time. Yeah. So you, you bring up a couple of really important points is that the disruption alone can actually increase your pain intensity. So it actually increases. So that uncertainty and that disruption actually increase your pain. The other thing that you, that's really important that you mentioned, Virginia, is, is resiliency. And, you know, I think we have a lot of misperceptions about what resiliency is. And really, it's about our ability to thrive in these times of change and uncertainty. And the important thing is that it can be learned right? It's not something that we all bring to this experience. It's something that we have to challenge ourselves and we have to learn other ways. Um, so we can actually build resiliency. And it's interesting that that two week time frame was for you. And it was the same for me, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't live with persistent pain, so I can't imagine what it would be like to have that other layer of pain sort of coming down on me. I could see how that would make it very hard to to find the strength to kind of move on. So you need to give yourself credit for that. But that two weeks of uncertainty, I think most of us thought, oh, yeah, okay, it'll be two weeks and then it'll all go away. And I think now we're starting to understand. Um, so what are some of the things 
going back to your toolbox, but what other things do you think can help build that resiliency? So knowing that it can be learned. So what else can, can we do? Um, I, I think confidence, I think, as us who are living with pain, realizing that we have this in us because yeah. we're living with pain. So that I and go back to toolboxes, go back to, to need to go back to basics, goal setting. I had to start goal setting, keeping in a, things in perspective. And that may what's helped me keep things in perspective is one is by decreasing the news, the time on my on the news, because that gets it puts us in a crisis mode and overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, um, accepting that we can't change this. Mm-hmm. We really need to kind of ride out with this and know that our medical directors are giving us information as they get it. And it's the best information. I think yeah. you need to look to be positive and hopeful, which is another thing we've, we've learned years ago. We need to bring it back. We need to remember to be about self-care and nutrition because these are the things that are going to make us stronger and be able to think. And look at these as opportunities to learn. Like there's, there's, there's just so much we can do uh, that can help us get through this. And yeah. it is one step. So they, I think, would be my biggest, biggest things is really putting a good perspective on things and being positive. And, Exactly. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about goal setting? Because if, if I've learned anything in uh, working with patients who live with persistent pain is that the goal setting is not what we think about in, in an individual who is not living with persistent pain. And uh, so I'll, I'll give you an example in, in one of the podcasts that I talked about, because especially when we think of the most powerful tool, because what our brain is always looking for is that place of calm. And COVID causes disruption, pain causes disruption. But one of the most powerful tools we have to find that place of calm is through our breath. So it's around that breathing piece, but it is really hard to do. And uh, so we often have this perception that we should be able to sit there cross it legged, you know, for an hour. Well, that ain't going to happen. So, but so... So would you have any advice for individuals who, okay, so maybe they haven't worked on that meditative breathing, uh, how they might approach that, uh, especially if they're living with persistent pain? That's a huge part of the resources I use. I do use breathing and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. I, I think people need to realize to, to be calm. When you start these mindfulness meditations or breathing exercises, it doesn't have to be forever. It can start for being two or three minutes. Yeah. But as your mind distracts again, say, that's okay, and let's bring it back. Punish yourself for it. You're just listening to the sounds. It could be going out for a walk and listening to the sounds. I mean, yeah. sit, like, I agree, this sitting with uh, cross-legged and <laughs> that pose. <laughs> that doesn't happen to that, That's a disincentive right there. I look at that and I think, uh, first of all, I can't cross my legs like that. That's the hard part. <laughs> and then to try and balance with those fingers, that's another part that's really hard. <laughs> So uh, anyway, but yeah, so I, I actually even think of goal setting when I looked at myself um, is that I could only do it for 15 seconds, honestly. And my, so my brain is so busy sometimes and it's not a, it's not busy in a good way. Trust me. It's not because I work in healthcare. It's just my brain can get very, very busy. So I, I had to give myself so much slack and just say, OK, if you can do this for 15 seconds, three times a day you got it, you know, you'll be all right. And then I tried to build from there. And uh, so that, that small, just even tiny bits and give yourself, give yourself some, uh, you know, credit that, that you're doing it. Right. So, yeah. I think that's key. If it's 15 seconds, that's okay. That's key. And people think of goal setting, whether it's mindfulness or it's movement or anything that it has to be 15 or 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be. You do what you can and build from there. Because people with pain, Maybe that's all they can do. 
Yeah. Systems are just firing sometimes. Yeah. So the other point that you brought in is accepting what is out of our control. Like, what can we control in all this? Do you want to just talk a little bit about that, too? The only thing we can control is ourselves. Yeah. How we treat ourselves, um, what's going to happen out there. We need to follow the guidelines that are being given to us. Mm-hmm. The, the health professional, they know. But we can only control what's happening to us to keep us moving forward, whether it's by distraction. Okay, so we, we need to stay away from the media stuff and our minds start, our, our systems start flaring up. Go and do some puzzles. Go do some games. Um, I've been, I started doing some photo album stuff on yeah. the computer. Connecting with friends. Control these things. Um, movement. Get out there and move. Yeah. Uh, NBC has ta- are putting out all kinds of webinars for movement and drumming. These are the things we control. We can control the things around us and use things that are around us to help us. Yeah. So it's better. Yeah. So what you're saying is that what we may not be able to change our reality around COVID, but we can change how we respond to it. So I think that's really important sort of, you know, reaching and and it's kind of interesting listening to my colleagues too. how many people have cleaned out their closets. It's crazy. So I so or or things that you never had time to sit down and do. And uh, one of the comments my husband said to me, he said, gee, he said, you're around a lot, even though I'm not around a lot because I'm in the hospital, but I'm not doing all those other things that we would do, like the conferences or like meetings, you know, and you know yourself what the meetings are like in particular around uh, as the as a country is sort of getting geared up around uh, chronic pain resources and, and recognizing the importance of chronic pain. So we've had to change all of how we do that. So the other piece is, um, the other thing that I thought was really important that you said about maintaining a positive attitude. So, and, and I think, you know, when I think of resiliency, I mean, a positive attitude doesn't mean that I have to feel positive and happy talk about a negative situation. It, it just means that despite what's going on, I, I believe that I can get through this. I've gotten through, look, and, and just talk a little bit about that, Virginia, because when you think about uh, yourself as well as other individuals who have lived with p- persistent pain and what they've been able to do, you know, how they've been able to get to this point in their life, they have tremendous resiliency already there. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? I, I think sometimes we forget we have the resilience there. Uh, sometimes we need, I've had my pain physician say to me, you've done this, you, you, yeah. you've, you've got resilience. I think often we forget where we were or how we got there and, and it just didn't happen overnight. Yeah. So it, it is about that. It, it's us knowing that we, we have it there and we we still have that hope that we can we can move on. For us who have managed our pain, people who are struggling, I can I who've not got to the self management, I got a concern for them. Yeah. But us who are living to manage pain, it's it's there, it's in us. It's just to bring it back and that's yeah. maybe even something our clinicians can point out to us every now and then. Yeah. You got it. You do. You you guys are the most resilient population that I have ever worked with in my entire life. Um, and the, the important thing is that the uncertainty, so for many of us who have not lived with persistent pain, we may or may not have that same kind of resiliency. We have to actually try and 
understand that this disruption is causing us to have to do things differently and to find those places of calm differently. So you may have relied on, you know, the the structure and routine of going to work every day and all of a sudden that's changed. But there's also a lot of uncertainty financially too for a lot of individuals and uh, especially individuals who've been working with chronic pain who have been uh, having many challenges around uh, financial security and food security. And this has been just 10 times uh, put another layer on top of that. So do you have any thoughts or feelings around that? That's a tough one. That, that's a tough one because I don't have that problem because I'm still work, but that it, that is a tough one. And, and, and then on top of it, they have children home and they're trying to keep the children busy. Yeah. A lot of people have that. So financially, I mean, I'm really hoping that government is, is going to help up and, and step up and help them for them to look for these resources that are out there, connect yeah. with the government websites, with their clinicians, with anybody who can help them resource. Like I said, I'm fortunate. I don't have that worry right now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's important too. So do you have um, any, um, and, and I think that's important. I always think that healthcare and it happens in our communities. So it's knowing what resources are within the community still. And there are some, you know, uh, connections uh, that people can make, especially the in- individuals who are not managing very well or, or are finding financially, like, you know, things around food security and uh, um, just even even healthcare security. We have a lot of people that are terrified to show up in the emergency room. And unfortunately, they're coming in very, very sick. So we need to get those messages out there that, you know, yes, COVID is real, but we're trying super hard not to make the emergency department an area where we're seeing a ton of COVID patients. Like the Nova Scotia Health Authority has done a tremendous job, I would say, in terms of how we've tried to triage people away from the emergency department. But we are finding that people are coming in almost, they're too sick. Like they're just leaving themselves at home too long. Yeah. So uh, so do you know of um, uh, of any web pages within Nova Scotia or some connections around chronic pain? Have there been some some information that's been fed back to you around this? Um, I think you've you got a, a huge issue. People aren't going to the emergency. I don't even think people are connecting with their clinicians. The last time I had an appointment with my nurse clinician and she just said to me, we're here if you need us. Just, just it won't take long to get you and let me know. Um, we need to speak up. When my appointment was canceled at the pain clinic, I said I would like to have a phone conversation. We need to speak up. But the, the things in the province, I mean, like you said, you have the food banks. But Nova Scotia Health Authority, one of our Dr. Pond, you know, doctor reached out to us and let us know some resources. And one is with the Nova Scotia Health Authority is the TAO, a therapy assistant online, and that's also for people who with chronic illnesses. And there's a good resource. Yeah. Uh, you know, I go to apps. There's apps. Uh, Tara Brock has a guide at meditation app. There's all kinds of meditation apps. Um, Pain BC. But again, you know, these things are all online. Physiotherapists, and I think people are missing that. Physiotherapists will also still do appointments. They're doing them virtual. Yeah, okay. But your physiotherapist is still there. You still can reach out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's um, important. So they can t- talk you through some. Phone. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the other thing, if you're, and now if, if I have, um, so if you can connect online, I mean, there's some really good, I found mm-hmm. a very, because I'm not a yoga person, but I'll tell you, two weeks into this, I said, okay, I'm going to do yoga. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to try and figure this out and was able to find a beginner's guide to yoga that was super simple that 
was was not about yoga. It was just really about the movement. It's almost like a Tai Chi. I found it actually a very good Tai Chi beginner's guide too that I'll forward to you too. My, I have a sister with live, lives with persistent pain in California. And so she forwarded this to me. And it's also very good because it's just that your brain needs to knew, know that it's moving, right? That even though we're isolated, our body is still physically moving. Um, so that that's, there, there are some really good programs that are on there as well. There is, there's the other, some, one the girl sent me was a, a yin yoga and a chair yoga again through YouTube that are very, very good. Um, oh, okay. We've been fortunate. We've had, uh, from Nova Scotia Health Authority, one of the researchers give us a dedicated line, Zoom line, so we can run the support group online. Oh, and perfect. And we've extended our reach. Uh, we ran our last one last month, and then I borrowed someone's line, but they were just, no, no, you need to have your own line, so you have got total control, and... Uh, they're, oh. they're paying for it, so I've got the extra. And then, and wow. There's so many people out there. But we've extended our reach. We've had people from Cape Breton, from Yon, and actually someone from UK come join our group. That is so good. I, I actually, I'm going to mm-hmm. try and get that link so we could let our patients know, and uh, I'll let Amy know who uh, sort of organizes the uh, the pain self-management in this area, the northern region. So mm-hmm. that would be awesome. And I, I've, I've only tried, I think there's another app. We were One of my kids had his birthday um, oh my gosh. Yes. Well, it was actually yesterday, but I wanted to bring all the family in to do this. Uh, I think it's called, um, it's not zoom. It's like a house party app. Yeah. I think that's what it's called house party app. And it was the coolest thing. I mean, the technology is crazy. It is so cool. And it's so nice to be able to connect, uh, with everybody. Yeah, exactly. And he's in Montreal in a hotspot. So it's been, it's been a little bit challenging. Yeah. Someone was saying they're playing crazy eights online games, connecting with their family or something. One of the ladies had shared that. Okay. So that connecting piece is so important. We need to find other ways of connecting. And my goodness, we, in, in 1918, when they had the, the, the H1N or they had the influenza pandemic, uh, they didn't have technology. So we're so fortunate in this pandemic to, uh, to actually have technology helping us along. Yeah. I think the connection is, is, is huge. It is, is huge. Connect with our family and our friends, whether it's playing games or my, our, my, our, uh, we'll get online with our girls usually once a week, Friday or Saturday night, and then with their guys and, and connect to see how they're doing. One of my daughters is a nurse, so she's right in the middle of all this. So you yeah. want to see the faces? Yeah, exactly. And it also, you can share ideas. Right. I mean, the, the, the beauty of connecting is that uh, people are going to have some suggestions or did you know? I mean, I've learned lots from you just talking to you about this, that there are other things out there that are working really well. And I know that each of us is going to have, you know, unique needs. But knowing that you can kind of do some surfing and looking at some of this stuff is uh, um, and just see if it's going to work for you or even just to try it. I mean, give yourself some credit just even for trying it. And that's the big thing. We reached out. I reached out to the support groups and asked, what are you guys using and doing? And I find most people come back to connection, distraction, mindfulness. These seems to be things and, and movement seems to be key yeah. for things people are doing it and in all in different ways, whether it's online or going out. But a couple of different things come out where people are using essential oils or journaling. Yes. Yeah. And these sort of things, well, these things help you have things too at your own fingertips. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing about journaling that can be, it would be interesting. I actually, I wish I would have journaled early on to look at, because sometimes when we're, we're making those transitions and changing, we're not really seeing how we're transitioning, but to look at where we were when it started and where we are now, it's just like, can be like night and day, not to say that it's perfect. And this sort of brings me to the fact that we need to be very self-compassionate and very patient with ourselves 
knowing that none of us has all the answers, right? And nobody on this planet has all the answers. And why should we? I mean, it's it's this is all new for all of us. That's why they call it a novel. <laughs> Coronavirus, it's new. It's too new. And I mean, that maybe that's one thing with the journaling. With us who live with pain, if we have a really bad day and you spend most of the day in bed, and you start journaling and a week later you look back and you've had a bad flare up. You've been two hours, you couldn't move. It's like, well, look at that. A week ago, I couldn't move at all. Yeah, exactly. You're seeing, you're seeing how you're resilient, how you're doing better with it and what's working. Yeah, exactly. The other thing I just want to talk about because I, I think it's important is so there are some aspects of our experience that it's, it's hard to pinpoint. And I always think about this as this, this internal kind of sense of feeling or discomfort. These are the negative, uh, negative sorts of feelings that we can feel sometimes. Like, and when you, when you try and, cause it is important to name them or recognize them. And I, I'm thinking about some of them is that, that anxiety feeling or that restless feeling, or even the irritability that we can feel or that sadness that we can feel like, it's almost like a, a grief reaction, you know, sort of going through what we, what the, the losing what we had before this, do you know what I mean? So our life is not going to be the same, you know, until we see that vaccine, none of us is going to get back to any kind of normal because it's not, we're trying to keep ourselves alive <laughs> until this vaccine is developed, right? So our social distancing, all that sort of thing is is probably, or I should say physical distancing. I hate that term social distancing because it, it's really physical distancing and social connection that we need to be looking at. But um, so it's almost like a grief reaction that we have to go through and that we need to go through those feelings. But do you want to talk about those feelings of discomfort and 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 how to kind of recognize some of those? And everybody's going to be different, obviously, but... I think everybody's different. I think you've got a good point with these feelings. Uh, I've gone through the anxiety and the sadness and um, irritability. Yeah. yeah. Somebody always takes the impact of that and they're the ones around you. Yeah. I've definitely gone through them and uh, sometimes you recognize the feeling, but sometimes you don't recognize what's putting you there. Yeah. Yeah. I think until you recognize what's putting you there, why do you feel this way today or why are you feeling that I haven't slept well last night or whatever? Because yeah. you know the next day you're going to get up and you don't know what's going to hit that. I think yeah. it's all, recognize what is causing these feelings is what's going to help you adapt to them. Yeah. Well, and, and that disruption of sleep is really important too. And people that have never had trouble sleeping all of a sudden have significant disruption. I've, I've heard that a number of times from uh, some individuals that, and I think it's because that, that survival brain is kind of an overdrive, even when we're trying to sleeping. So the brain doesn't really want to go to sleep because it senses that something is wrong, right? It just wants to protect you and to, to warn you of this, of whatever is going on. But so that disruption in sleep is, is something that we're seeing a lot of as well. Absolutely. And I think the uncertainty of knowing we don't know what's going to happen the next day. Yeah. We don't know when we're going to come out of this. This is, is the uncertainty of it. And uh, yeah. The important really thing is, is that one we. Put the other. Yeah, exactly. The, the important thing is that we will come out of it. I mean, we're designed for resiliency. You know, the goal of our, our, our brain is to keep us alive, right? So. We, we, we challenge ourselves. Now, mind you, there are some individuals, and I think this is, this is so important too, that if there are individuals that are not managing well, and these are where we see this sometimes is in, in individuals who have had significant, you know, trauma in their life, and they are constantly in that survival mode. So they're not, they're not able to take that information in. They're not able to process that information. And it's trying to keep things 
in a way that helps to direct them into services and supports to know that there is help out there uh, and not to be afraid uh, to reach out for that help, just even to to touch base. And we've had people show up at the Emerge in, in those places as well, so we can connect them. Um, not to say that I'm going to encourage everybody to come to the emergency department because it is a pretty disruptive environment, but it's mm-hmm. important that if if we're not able to find that that place of calm, that it just seems to be more disruption, um, that we need to be able to reach out. Oh, I think so. And I think people know that they can reach out to clinicians because going into emergency, going into the hospital and everybody's a mask, yeah. um, that's increasing anxiety too. You, you bring up a really important point. I mean, you see in some of these uh, YouTube videos, especially in some of the other countries, and I think this comes from previous pandemics like Ebola, because you're just in a spaceship. You know, we're so used to connecting to people at the bedside, and most patients don't even know who we are. You know, we've got our name tags on, but even when we down all of this gear, your name tag is under your your um, your other clothing, like your, your OR greens are what we're wearing. So they don't know who we are, but there is a movement now to try and bring some pictures, like to take pictures of us so that we can carry a picture uh, on the um, sort of on the outside. Now, mind you, it would have to be cleaned as well, but everything is about keeping everything clean and sterile, but at least people can make that connection. The other thing that we've done, because this is the other piece of isolation, uh, is that families cannot come into the emergency room with their loved one. And that goes against all of our nature and healthcare. And for somebody who is in there not having their loved one by their side, especially if they're quite sick, is really, really sad. But we do have um, a lot of work that's gone into uh, FaceTime, you know, connecting people uh, by apps, you know, that the, all these different, Zoom is another big thing that the health authority has actually uh, purchased so that we can connect families and allow them to have conversation. We can keep these phones with the, the loved one. Now we have to help them, <clears throat> especially if they're elderly because not everybody has the technology. But I'll tell you, some of these patients who have never used technology, they, they are willing to go there if it means connection. And uh, so um, so that's important too. But it is a really, it's a scary situation for families that are coming in and not able to, I'm sorry, patients that are coming in, their families are not able to, to be at the bedside. Absolutely. I mean, for years I've talked about, you know, I think what is special about the pain physicians, people who... Um, work with people who are in pain is they have that compassion and the, and the connection and they're willing to make the connection with their patients when the patients are ready and they see the cues. But is this going to impact us that we're, we're moving backwards? It's nice to hear this, that they're really thinking about oh. this because this is important. This is important that helps people open up and be honest. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of misinformation too. I've I mean, it's interesting. So you hear a lot on the on the um, in sort of in the social media piece, and I think people need to, even though Facebook and Instagram and all those things are really important. There's so much misinformation that's come on those, but a lot of people think that we're going to decide who lives and dies, and this is another thing misinformation out there. And people come up to me and they say, "Well, you're going to let me live, aren't you?" And I'm like, "Oh my goodness, like that is not what," because people think, "Okay, because I have you know a chronic disease or chronic pain or that." That, that means I'm not going to get a vet. Like, that is not. And, and I'll tell you, in Nova Scotia, 
we need to be so proud of what our public health officials have done, what the uh, provincial government has done, what the national government has done. I'm so grateful of an integrated healthcare system and a public healthcare system, especially when I look at what's going down on this in the U.S. I have a sister in the in, in New York and one in California, and it is terrifying for them now. California is doing much better, but but. Um, uh, it, I'm so proud of our healthcare system and also our public health officials that anyone that is going to need, you know, resuscitation, need ventilation, will get ventilation. I think there's a lot of misperceptions around how it can help. And in fact, this new information that's coming out is that we want to avoid intubation. Patients that are intubated uh, or need a ventilator have a higher risk of dying. So there's some really interesting technology and techniques that are coming in where other countries have used to help increase survival. So these are all things that are we're bringing into the workplace. So people need to be really reassured that we are staying up to date. We are notified. I mean, I get so much notification every day about how to maximize patients' oxygenations and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, so people need to feel really secure that if they need treatment and they're going to benefit from that treatment, they're going to get it. There's no question. Um, we're not, we're basing it on what patients' goals of care are. Uh, we know that patients that have significant frailty um, often do terrible on ventilators. And I always say to patients, sometimes there are worse things than death. You know, to have somebody die isolated, you know, on a ventilator where they're not able to connect or communicate is just even more tragic in my view, especially when we knew the survival would not be well anyway. But um, so I I just want to put that out there because there's a lot of misinformation about how patients get on ventilators and, and what we're actually doing. So it's, it's, people need to be reassured that we are doing everything we can to keep people alive because we want them to be alive. (laughs) It matters to us. And saying that, Maureen, you know, from hearing in my communities with other patient advocates and with the pain community, people are getting that. People really are. There's a lot of confidence because they know that the protocols are changing because the government and our health advisors and our premier and Dr. Strang, they're all keeping on top of these things. Oh, and yeah. Hearing a lot of confidence oh. in people. We're uncertain right. because everybody's uncertain. Yeah. But confidence that, uh, yes, they're keeping on top of this. They're going to guide us through. This. Yeah. And, and what we're doing in our facility. Which, where it's going, what's going to do. But there, there is that confidence, what I'm hearing in my community, in my world, which is really good. It's, it's so important. And, and what we're doing in our facility, we have uh, a really good, what we call a simulation program, where we're sort of constantly going through drills. Um, and uh, so we're practicing those both in the adult and the pediatric population. So every day we're doing simulation every day. We're doing, you know, there's communication. We're outreaching through the evenings. Like we're always, especially in our merge department in intensive care. So this really acute care setting as well as the COVID unit itself. Um, there's constant communication pretty much on a daily or every second day within our institutions. So um, I think people need to be reassured that everything's being done. Okay, so I think I'm just going to try and summarize some of the things that that you said, because I think I want to leave with uh, the important things that you've mentioned. And I've just been kind of keeping some notes here, Virginia. So what I heard was that we need to stick to the facts, 
You need to listen to those scientists and those public health officials and to try and stay off that social media that promotes that misinformation. Um, and there are some really good online platforms. I'm just going to add into that one, too, in terms of the World Health Organization, uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada, as well as the Centers of Disease Control. So there's some good things. So also, I think I heard you say, try and keep it in perspective. <laughs> this is a global effort. Yeah, this is a global effort. That means there's lots of really, really, really smart people that are actually dedicated to this. And there's lots of money that's being dedicated to this. And we truly are in this together. I strongly believe that. Um, continue to follow those prevention tips and, and to try and stay as healthy as you can, both in the workspace, but also in your daily, especially if you're in that shutdown isolation. So, you know, those important things about keeping that structure and that routine, um, no recognizing, I guess, when you're not doing so good, but also those, um, the prevention tips that we were talking about, about the hand washing, that physical distancing and those facial coverings, very controversial, but I, what we're doing is we're protecting other people just in case you're an asymptomatic carrier. So have you, how, how have you defined the face masks? Are, have you been using them? I have been using them. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm getting used to it. <laughs> yeah, very hard. And the last one was to practice those stress and anxiety management things that, uh, so leaning into those habits and behaviors that have worked in the past, we might have to reach into those again um, and uh, not to be afraid to reach out, but those things about, you know, that routine and that structure that you're making sure that you're eating, that you're drinking fluids, finding other types of movement uh, that doesn't flare up your pain, but then gives you that kind of structure and routine. You may not be able to run in that treadmill, uh, but you might be able to kind of go out and, and do a little bit of walk and uh, the breathing and all those kinds of things. And uh, yeah, so was there anything else that you wanted to add or I'm just kind of... One thing we didn't talk about, it was um, when we talk about the structure and routines, is keeping up your, medi your medication routine. Oh, good point. Yes. Yes. Don't, don't, uh, don't, whatever you do, don't miss the medication piece. Yeah. yeah. That's so important because if you start to, and we've seen that in a few patients, actually, some people are sort of getting kind of a little bit mixed up around their medication. This is where blister packing, if you're one of those people and you just kind of just need something not to think about, you know, if you're, if you're wanting the pharmacist to help you just to get those blister packs, that way you can know that's one piece that you don't have to put a lot of energy into. But some people may find that actually very good to know that they're able to put, fill up their dossets, you know, with their pills and things. But if you're somebody that's just getting overwhelmed with your medication, the pharmacist will put them in blister packs. Yeah. So, so important in Virginia. And, and don't be afraid to reach out to your clinicians. I think we're all kind of like you said, people aren't going into merch. We're not reaching out because we're afraid. Everybody's so busy and we know they're busy, but it, it's okay to, to, to reach out to our clinicians and say, I'm, I'm struggling. Yeah, exactly. All right, my dear, my, my Newfoundland background. I'll bring my deer in here. <laughs> or my ducky is sometimes what they use as well. This has been a wonderful opportunity. Uh, thank you for reaching out, Maureen, and asking you know, oh. how we're doing and how I'm doing and how the pain community is doing. This is great. Well, I think we need to keep doing it. Like, I think what we should try and do is check in if, if there's anything different that's happening, Virginia, just to get that information out. Um, if um, And I'll try and... Um, uh, try and make sure that I re I, I'm reaching out to you, but also trying to keep up. I know that there is a, a meeting that's coming up with the National Canadian Pain Task Force. I think we're all trying to find a new normal now because we know that this is not short term. It's going to be a long term, but we want to make sure that we're continuing some of the very, very good work that's been done around chronic pain nationally. Um, yeah. and um, making sure that we don't lose sight of these really important mandates. It's our job to keep it in the forefront. It may We may be physically isolated, but we're going to put this stuff out there and 
make sure that we're reaching out and uh, making sure that we're getting that information out. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Pain Talk. To learn more about our podcast and to find links mentioned in today's show, please visit our website at paintalk.ca.